Hello guys and gals and welcome back. This is the Northern Miner Podcast and I'm your host Matthew Keevil for the week of October 24th. As always, we are brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please surf by yukonminingalliance.ca and check out all the exciting exploration and development activity going on in the Yukon Territory. Uh, we have an exciting episode for you this week. Um, Leslie's fresh back from a trip to northern BC where she visited Skeena Resources' SNP project in the Golden Triangle. So this, uh, this episode of the geology corner will have a, uh, a a bc tilt to it we'll be uh talking a little bit about the mineralization in the golden triangle including things like seabridge's ksm uh Predium's uh, bruce jack deposit uh we dig into a little bit about sk snip uh some of the past producing mines and uh, the, the gold discovery potential in the region, which is driving a lot of uh, recent exploration activity by companies like Colorado Resources, Skeena, um, and, and uh, Comparables. I mean, Seabridge um, uh, just picked up uh, interest in SNP Gold as well. So lots of activity going on up there. Uh, lots of drilling this summer. So Leslie was up there to take a look around. Uh, so that'll be our version of the, our edition, I should say, of the Geology Corner this week. Uh, meanwhile, I, uh, I dropped by Kalinex Mines uh, headquarters here in Vancouver. Uh, they put out a pretty exciting looking drill result uh, from the Flin Flon district uh, in Manitoba, which is a volcanic mass of sulfide uh, sort of hotbed, uh, as they say. So uh, the triple seven mine, HUD based mine is there. Lots of historic uh, mineral polymetallic mining activity there. Um, so I dropped by to talk with uh, Max Portersfield, the president and CEO of Kalinex. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a primer on the drill hole and also uh, the interview before we get into that a bit later. Later in the show um, and also uh, I'll discuss a little bit just to wrap up later um, I also had a chance to sit down uh, with Cliff Davis uh, who is the president and CEO of Nevsun resources uh, and we talk everything uh, to do with uh, Bisha their mine in Eritrea which has a little bit of a socio-political um, quagmire going on for them in terms of the regime there and things so we talked to cliff about that uh we also talk about their recent acquisition which is the tmoc high-grade copper gold project in serbia uh, and that's on the tmoc magmatic complex so we talk about that and what their plans are uh in terms of development they're actually hoping to get that asset into production by early uh well around 2021 uh probably so I'll discuss that a little bit later, some of the details about uh, what President and CEO of Nevsun Cliff Davis told me during a, a sit down at their office here in Vancouver. Um, but first, uh, let's just crack through our macro a little bit. Um, as you noted, gold's firming up a bit um, as the U.S. dollar sort of uh, slipped from its highest level in seven months. So gold's firmed up a little bit. Uh, we are sitting at around 1264 almost $65 per ounce at the time of recording. Uh, silver is at $17.60 per ounce and copper is at two dollars and a roughly 10 cents per pound uh, meanwhile oil is also firmed up to uh, that 50 dollar a barrel level we talk about uh, so west texas intermediate is currently trading at 50 dollars and 50 cents per barrel uh, now a few dates to keep your eyes on here uh, loyal listener um, the federal open market committee's next meeting this is the u.s is on november 1st to 2nd uh, the week before the u.s presidential presidential election and uh, pol uh, policymakers are gathering again in mid-December for the final uh, scheduled session of the Federal Open Market Committee for 2016. Um, and so uh, <laughs> we now have a 68% chance of a rate hike, apparently. Um, so I, honestly, in, in my opinion, I, th I think gold's going to hold relatively steady um, until one of these sort of... Um, 
event sort of uh, triggers either a, a pullback or, or a run-up, uh, depending on uh, what sort of economic numbers and uh, rhetoric and narrative are coming out of these uh, last final uh, Federal Open Market Committee meetings this year. And also, we have a absolute beast of a uh, precious metals reporting week. Uh, all, the, all the majors, North American majors, are going to be reporting this week. Um, Barrick will be on Wednesday, Newmont's on Wednesday, as is Agnico Eagle, Gold Corp. Uh, Yamana is on Thursday. We have El Dorado Gold Thursday. Uh, so lots of uh, earning reports for the gold producers coming out. So it'll be interesting to see... Um, sort of where they are, uh, what sort of gold price assumptions they're doing and how um, free cash flow is doing, and of course, their cost control um, efforts, which have been ongoing for a while. And one of the big narratives we're hearing out of producers uh, it is a big focus on core assets, uh, high margin ounces, like is in uh, really cash flow generating ounces. And obviously, we've seen sales of non-core assets, and we've we've talked about that a little bit. Uh, one of the things we talked about was um, the Mercedes mine, Yamana just sold off to Premier Gold. So uh, some of those peripheral assets are falling into the hands of uh, smaller cap companies now. So that's one of the trends we always uh, kind of look look at as far as what the majors are up to so big earnings week uh so do take a look at that if you're uh sure there'll be a, a slew of conference calls and uh, some analyst reports coming out so we'll touch on that next week after we have a chance to sort of digest uh some of the precious metal major earnings and uh so that'll be an interesting one so a, a good week for that uh, lots of news coming out for sure um and yeah well so without uh without burning any more uh more time here on our macro that's sort of where we are for the week we're going to get right into uh leslie in the geology corner and once again we will be talking about the golden triangle in bc uh some of the big projects up there uh, as we mentioned include uh, seabridge gold's ksm uh imperial metals red chris mine uh we do have uh colorado resources doing uh, uh some significant exploration up there as mentioned uh skiing resources as well uh but we'll get into some of these projects with leslie as we move uh forward here so uh yeah let's get right into it and i will see you on the other side we're here with our host <laughs> leslie stokes what's up I'm here. Geology Corner. I like to say it's punishment for some, pleasure for many. <laughs> it's not. It, it's great. I love it. <laughs> I'm, and I'm always surprised about what we're going to talk about because I don't necessarily know before we get on. So. I generally don't really know really before I get on either. But um, That's the beauty of Geology Corner, spontaneity. <laughs> creativity. Yeah, spontaneity and creativity. <laughs> the, the hallmarks of geology. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, no, actually this week I am going to be touching on gold deposits, specifically oh. those within Northwest BC because I just got Ooh. back from visiting Skeena at their SNP property. Oh, that's right. That's right. Up uh, up around the uh, old SK and SNP mines. And... Yeah, I got to see SK by yep. helicopter. It was just such Where a spectacular trip. Where did you fly into? Uh, we flew into Terrace, Terrace, and then we took yeah. the helicopter over to basically the properties, and then we landed in a helicopter in the parking lot of a hotel. That's spectacular. I know. I know. It was so crazy. At, D at Deese Lake. At so Deese Lake? It was oh, yeah. as rock star as this rock <laughs> hound could possibly get. You know, oh, you have to. Um, my dad has a few Deese Lake stories. There. I bet there's yeah. a lot of stories, and what happens in Deese Lake stays in Deese Lake. Well, there's one that like there's one restaurant reportedly, and and if you get there after 7 p.m., it's a bit tough to find dinner. Apparently, oh geez, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, picking the mushrooms, pack and killing snack. the rabbits, yeah, pack a snack, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm not going to be touching too much on my snip visit in the geology corner, but I do have to say it was an awesome visit, and it was super cool because. One of the standouts for me at Skeena happened to be um, the fact that how accessible that project 
was. Because in my mind, Northwest BC is like Himalayas and Antarctica merged into yeah. one. Yeah. And it well, kind of, like of wasn't. Or like up around Stewart even. Where yeah. I was up visiting IDM. It was pretty... Uh, Glaciers, yeah, yeah, but at Snip, it was cool. We just landed, it was a beautiful valley bottom, it's basically around sea level. I saw your pictures, I can't believe And it was beautiful, and it was just like, oh, there's Snip right there in the hill, and it's rolling down into the valley. And and then 17 kilometers down the valley is like this power generating station and a road. And I just like looked at the bodies, I said, Ron, this is great. The core looks awesome, like robust mineralizing system. And I was just like, no, we flew in with a helicopter because it's still 17 kilometers away um just down the valley but it was just and it had its own microclimate and it was warm and it was like (laughs) it was just nice but anyway so um look for my article coming out on that Mm -hmm. on the visit soon the paper but they were drilling up there and they're drilling out. They're yep. looking just wrapping up. So yeah, we saw some core. Oh, yeah, we did. Oh. Yeah, we did. There you go. <laughs> but anyway, so um, today, I guess I'm going to be talking about the golden triangle, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. And why it's called a golden triangle. Not the Quebec, Ontario golden triangle. <laughs> I, I don't know why it's called the golden triangle. You know, on one hand, many of the major vein hosted gold and gold rich porphyry systems and Northwest BC are kind of clustered in that part of the province. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about deposits like SNP or Premier, Red Chris, KSM, Shaft Creek, Glore Creek, you name it. They're all kind of like clustered up there. So yep. I get it. But on the other hand, maybe I think it could just be called that because explorers happen to like triangles. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really form a triangle. I've had this Especially with people before, it's like it's more like a tetrahedron. Maybe, like a, yeah, yeah. but maybe they like triangles because you know mm-hmm. it gives them their bearings and lets them know where to go mm-hmm. and tells people where they're going. And basically, sounds names much more interesting. It's called the Copper Triangle. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I know. So yeah, speaking of rich man, there's so much metal in Northwest BC. There's no doubt about it, and it can come in really high grade packages, like Bruce Jack, for example. They got that recent resource update, um, pegged the deposit at 9.1 million ounces. And the grades are at 17 grams per ton gold. That thing's crazy. In measured and indicated resources. Okay, so I have friends that Mm -hmm. are working up there. And I hope I don't get... This I'm in trouble for saying this, like cardium friends. Yeah, yeah. And they show me pictures of, of high-grade gold oozing out of the exploration drives or the, the underground development. Oozing. Anyway, it's crazy. And then when you go there, you look at Bruce Jack and you jump to SNP. SNP produced a million ounces of gold from just one million tons. So seriously, the miners back in the day, they wouldn't even get out of bed for less than 18 grams gold per ton. That must have been nice. Yeah, that's, that's a yeah. great day. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> and then there's like the KSM Porphyry Camp in Northwest BC, and it has a metal content comparable to that of Grassberg in Indonesia. Like yeah. what they have is 45 million ounces, 10 billion pounds copper, and just proven and probable reserves alone. And they're continuously digging up new stuff. So it's insane. Um, the numbers up there just keep growing, growing. So this is really, a really extraordinary uh piece of super fertile volcanic crust that's right in our backyard (laughs) and to really get an appreciation of the golden triangle you must step back and of course understand the geology of it i need like a sweet like dream sequency yeah yeah is that i think it's like wayne's world thing (laughs) 
So um, the deposits are hosted within the Stikine Arc, which you probably heard heaps about. It's basically a chain of ancient volcanoes um, that formed outbound of ancestral North America about 220 million years ago. Ish. Ish. Yeah. I don't trust zircon grains. Whatever. So sue me. <laughs> um, if you want an image in your head, you know, or cool enough, if you have Google Earth, like globe trot over to the Philippines and take a look at the volcanic arcs there. That's basically what Stikinia looked like. Okay. It was just a bunch of volcanic islands with lots of really complex subduction zones that drove slabs across and most importantly, heaps of water, right, yep. into the upper mantle. So in turn, the overlying crust is injected with metal rich fluids and magmas, which of course forms the porphyry and vein related deposits. That is as one of one as I could possibly get. People, that's awesome. That was like that was like poor freezing like ten seconds. Ten seconds. Yeah, Shabam. That was awesome. Shabam. There we go. We'll so, just have that on the website and people can just click on it. <laughs> Done. Yeah. So in the Stikine, okay, so come back here. The big metal event happened between two hundred and twenty and hundred and seventy five million years ago. So I spoke to Jeff Kaiba, regional geologist yeah. for Northwest BC. Everyone knows him. He also happens to be my number one surfing buddy. <laughs> and he said that studies um, have suggested that these hydrothermal fluids that created these systems may they have moved upwards of 40 kilometers in wow. some camps. So in particular at KSM. So that would make it some of the world's largest hydrothermal systems. That's, a that's lot crazy. of fluid moved to that crust back yeah. then. So when you step back and look at the Golden Triangle today, the cool thing I find about it is that the region is swimming in world-class porphyry deposits, Big right? Yeah. But there's an unusual lack of vein-hosted gold. Now, we got, obviously, SNP. We've got Bruce Jack. We have Premier Silback too. But that's kind of pretty much the significant ones. And I'm pretty sure that there probably should be more, um, especially if you have a hydrothermal system of that size. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you would think. So I guess the biggest challenges for explorers up there wasn't just depressed gold prices back in the day, which yeah. really tampered exploration. I will intercede with a layman question. Ooh, okay. Um, um, you said that, that logically you'd have more of these hydrothermal systems in relation to these big porphyries. Why is that? Well, because it's all related. So mm. you have these ma metal-rich magmas and, and lots of metal-rich fluids kind of coming up and off-gassing off of them. Okay. And then at that time, too, there was bouncing geothermal gradients, right? Mm -hmm. And so that kind of like brought forced fluids into cracks and fissures and okay. you name it. So it's like basically taking a plunger to a toilet. You know, you're just like... Yep, yep. You know, over and over it. and over yeah. again. Yeah. So there's lots of kind of things happening so now. Things were the the hydrothermal it's like main golden were, branches yeah. off of. Yeah. It's all part of the same system. I can see it. Yeah. Sometimes they can be eroded, right, mm -hmm. away, and mm -hmm. sometimes they're deeply buried. So okay. it really depends if you get the right kind of mix. But they're all kind of out there. So they found a lot of the trees. They just haven't found all the branches, in your opinion. M uh, maybe I found the roots or the branch. I don't we're know. Going, we're going way down the path of metaphor here. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, Where uh, am I on this tree? How far can we take it? A tree is the shape of a triangle. Yeah, a triangle yeah, yeah. is a golden. No oh god, where am I? But um, but that's a good description of why the the hydrothermals are associated you know, with yeah. porphyry. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Sure. So yeah, you could you should be able to see like some, especially in in that part of the world. There's there's such a huge piece of crust exposed. Um. So, but I guess the biggest challenge for explorers, I reckon, has been the depressed gold prices. You know, of course, you have 18 grams per ton cutoff at SNP. Yeah. Like, I mean. Gold back then didn't cost a lot, so of course they wouldn't want to mine anything more than that or less than that. 
And so, but also, um, I think that obviously access and infrastructure has always tempered growth. Yeah. So, um, even though we have all these world-class deposits in our backyard, it just so happens that our backyard in BC is a little bit glaciated. Yeah, and, and yeah, and, and daunting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but of course, there's pockets there that are super accessible, like, for example, SNP yeah. that I mentioned earlier. So that's kind of cool. But no, thanks to lifting gold prices, obviously, and we have heaps of renewed infrastructure in the Golden Triangle, um, I really reckon there's a lot more to come. And so we have, you know, junior explorers like Skeena and Colorado, mm-hmm. OK2 Minerals, got to give them a shout out, um, Ascot, and they're on the ground hunting. And we have majors like Seabridge or Predium, and they continue to expand zones of mineralization, really get analysts' eyes on that region. So cool for them. Imperial Metals is obviously trucking away There's at a lot of Red gold Chris. In there. Red Chris is ridiculous yeah. um, metal content too. That thing is ridiculous, yeah. You know, so it's, it's rad. But in mm-hmm. the meantime, I just want to really take this moment (laughs) okay to remind everybody that the golden triangle is an invisible line and it actually doesn't exist okay so if you're a gold hungry explorer who might have missed you know staking the best claims and the golden triangle because colorado happens to have everything well perhaps you'd like to float over to the tutagon region because hey it's got the exact same terrain it has the exact same potential and there's a lot more room there for you to graze is there anyone working? Is there any projects that you could? That's like Kamas okay, area Kamas. and yeah, stuff. Okay, okay. But yeah, like because I was talking to Kyber about it, and yeah. he goes, "Yeah, man, like not many people are looking over there, but it's the exact same thing." And Rico Metals is 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 working away on on the Kamas uh, the Kamas South and the Kamas Underground potential. Um, and if anybody remembers, Kamas was Kamas North was an old open pit mine mm-hmm. that Northgate operated for years before they ran into a slight. Uh, regulatory hurdle. There is some yeah, regulatory yeah. hurdles. Um, but uh, Rico Metals is now working on that, and uh, we've spoken with them a number of times about uh, the work they're doing there. They're just trying. They're. I mean, it's it's getting close to um, not a production decision necessarily, but they're close enough that I mean, the old infrastructure is there and all that stuff. So it is interesting that area for sure. And yeah, and, you go there, look for high grade gold. Woo. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Something. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. but have fun in the meantime. Play safe. And it's interesting how. Um, Value Kings and Predium kind of restarted a gold rush up there, essentially, right? Like, yep. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it makes big... people realize that, wait a second, there are these high-grade routes to these systems. So it's kind of, it's definitely um, attractive. So it, it, I guess we should point out that, that Bruce Jack is highly unique. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, like there's not really, I don't, I've never but seen. But that's the thing with gold deposits, Matt. Each gold deposit is so unique. Yeah. And that's, and, and we, we force these things into models. And I could list off about 25 different gold deposit models to you right now. And the reason why is because it has nothing really to do about it. It all has to do about the source structure trap. And each one of those times, every single gold bo- deposit you go to, it changes slightly. And so um, everything is unique. That's the creative element of geology. That we tell you a spiel about the formation of the earth and blah blah blah. <laughs> like I can go into this big philosophical rant about how unique gold is, but that's for another podcast, actually. Another oh, day. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> we got our next one up lined up. Yeah. So that has been the geology corner. And welcome back to studio. Uh, so yeah, that's a nice, uh, nice little uh, primer on the, uh, the some of the uh, deposit types in uh, northwestern BC, predominantly uh, in the Golden Triangle area, which, as we mentioned, is not necessarily shaped like a triangle. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that wraps up our geology corner. We're always uh, 
always want to look out for cool subject matter for that. So if, uh, again, if you do have questions or, uh, or insights, uh, that you'd like on, on a certain deposit type or area, uh, please get in touch with Leslie or myself and we'll, uh, we'll try to fit it into, uh, our geology corner planning or Leslie's geology corner planning. Um, in that segment, we like to, uh, like to take listener, uh, input on that. Uh, and while I'm at it, please do surf by the Northern Miner website, uh, hit that subscribe button. It's uh, very reasonable. Uh, and you get access to our Canadian mines handbook, which is a great compendium, uh, of mines and exploration activity uh, worldwide. Um, and also, please do uh, give us a good old rank in there on iTunes. Uh, check out our Facebook page and uh, Twitter. And also check out our YouTube page, which is back in action. Uh, there was uh, a new uh, new video posted there from uh, my trip to the Yukon with John McConnell of Victoria Gold. So that's definitely worth checking out on our YouTube channel. Um, and yeah, now uh, we'll get into my next little segment here. Uh, as mentioned, I uh, dropped by to speak with Max Portisfield, who is the... Uh, President and CEO of Kalinex Mines. Um, and people might know Kalinex has, uh, as an entity, been around for quite a long time, uh, exploring in the Flin Flon district. Um, and they put out a really, uh, on October 18th, a hole that caught uh, everybody's imagination a little bit. Um, and it was uh, basically due to uh, some pretty eye-popping uh, zinc grades, actually. 20.8% uh, zinc equivalent. Um, and anyone who uh, follows the zinc market knows that's pretty, <laughs> that's a nice grade. Um, and uh, it's it's uh, the property is uh, right next to um, Hud Bay's uh triple seven uh facility there uh in flin flon uh, the flin flon district of manitoba um so uh what calinex did was they put out a press release that says uh, discovered a quote-unquote new high grade zone uh they they intersected 10.3 meters grading 13.1 percent zinc equivalent uh that's six percent zinc 1.8 grams gold per ton 60.4 grams silver per ton 0.7 percent copper and 0.4 percent lead um and uh so i had a chance to drop by and uh, chat with uh, President and CEO Max Portisfield. And uh, what we talk about is a little bit of background on the whole. Um, it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, he, he tells a really uh, cool story about how it's, it was actually an old hole drilled by Placer Dome. But they what they did was they essentially just sort of ended the hole a little bit too early. Uh, so Kalinex... Um, essentially not to not twin the hole but extended it uh basically and hit this really really interesting looking intercept at uh their pine bay project um which has a few uh few different targets on it and, and max gets into it a little bit as we chat uh moving ahead here um but the um the result obviously had uh, a pretty significant. They, they, I think, they traded almost uh, well over a million uh, shares the day of the announcement, um, and hit a high of uh, oh, probably around sixty cents, I believe, uh, late last week. So they they were up quite uh, quite significantly uh, on the news. Um, so Max gets a little bit into that as well as their share structure. Uh, they received a strategic investment from uh, people. May be familiar with resource capital funds. Uh, we encountered them in the Yukon. They own a position in Wellgreen Platinum, uh, but they have an exploration uh, hand um, sort of I guess department uh, where they make um, make uh, investments into exploration stage. Traditionally, they're more of a development or uh, or production focused fund. Uh, but Kalinex is one of the uh, exploration stage companies where they have actually bought into their team. Um, which is quite a uh, quite an experienced group of uh, volcanogenic massive sulfide uh, um, geologists and technical uh, staff, uh, including um, uh, a few uh, names people might be familiar with. Uh, uh, Mike Muslewski, who uh, is uh, one of the most well-known names uh, in terms of uh, Manitoba uh, VMS-style uh, mineralization. Uh, so Kalinex has a really good team, um, and Max will get into all that as we just, uh, have a chat with him here. Um, so this is coming uh, live from Kalinex's offices in 
Vancouver here. So I'll run this now, and I will see you on the other side. This is Matthew Kiva with the Northern Miner, and I'm reporting on-site from downtown Vancouver with Max Porterfield, President and CEO of Kalinex Mines. Thanks for joining us, Max. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you guys recently released quite an impressive drill hole at your Pine Bay project in Flin Flon, Manitoba, Max. Um, maybe a little bit of uh, um, elaboration and color for our readership on the Pine Bay project, the hole, and why it caused so much excitement. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, first of all, taking more of like a, a higher level approach to the area, the project's located 16 kilometers away from Hunt Bay's uh, processing facility and operations in Flin Flon, Manitoba. And this is an area that's had over 90 years of continuous production across 32 mines. And you've really got all that infrastructure, people, and access um, that you really need to be able to fast pace something. So with that being said, you know, looking at that, that was kind of where the, the property is located and where we, this recent discovery was made. Hud Bay's uh, operations today has a four-year mine life at the 777 mine. Reed Lake has a three-year mine life and they're trucking that over 140 kilometers away. And so we saw a potential to go out there and make uh, a meaningful discovery. Now, the area in which we announced this discovery hole was previously uh, uh, explored by uh, majors like Plastodome and Inmet. And when Plastodome operated and explored the property in the early 1990s, they had a mandate to discover a 30 million ton ore body, so a very large ore body. Uh, so we came in with, and we have a technical team, actually uh, our technical team is associated with the discovery of three of the four largest mines in the camp's history, with the exception of the original Flin Flon mine. Uh, and, and our team thought there was the, the same geological pedigree and potential for this area to host a, a large VMS deposit, which again are a high grade base in precious metals rich. Uh, and the reason for why Plaster, I mean InMed and a lot of the geologists out there, and I've always thought there'd be a potential to host a large VMS um, uh, deposit deposit was really the the geological uh, environment that you see there. It encompasses what's known as the Baker Patton Felsic Volcanic Complex and real simply uh, what that means is uh, it's the largest one of the largest map felsic rock packages in the entire Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. And why that's important is about 90% of the ore ever mined in Flin Flon's history has been hosted in these felsic host rocks. This coupled with the very large alteration package at surface, really which allows for a lot of fluid flow and displacement of these type of deposits, and there's typically a direct correlation to the size of your alteration package uh, deposit that'll be located there. So there's always been this thesis that there'd be a, a large uh, deposit that at depth, discovered at depth there. And so I think really this is kind of proof of concept, and this was done by really vectoring into the system through our previous drilling campaigns where we had a, a, th a thought process you know from based on our last drilling campaign when we announced the discovery of our Pine Bay East zone that potentially Plasterome might be off just a bit in terms of where they thought the productive horizon was. So what we did and how the discovery was made is based upon this understanding in our geological interpretation uh, where they had ended that hole we went down hole uh, that old uh, Plasterome hole that was drilled in the early 1990s in extended that a whole 38 meters uh, and when we did we hit that horizon that we announced uh, just earlier this week so very very exciting I think it's a proof of concept uh, and you know we definitely have uh, follow-up to see what this potential holds there and that's interesting. I mean, uh, just to clarify, so you guys actually re uh, drilled down an old placer dome hole. Um, and so the thesis is that you they sort of didn't go far enough? Is no, absolutely. They, they didn't go far enough. They, they ended the hole in what's known as the foot wall mineralization. Uh, and they were just short. Uh, so that, you know, 
was very fortunate for us it worked out that way and very, very exciting uh, for that to kind of come to fruition the way it did. And I mean, it is an exciting region. Like you said, there's producing mines in, in the vicinity. And uh, one of the things that happened last year is you brought on some new strategic shareholders. So maybe if you can talk a little bit uh, for our listeners about the capital structure, um, what it means to have shareholders um, like uh, Resource Capital Funds, who, who came on last year, um, and sort of uh, what your uh, plans are as far as uh, following up on this whole. Yeah, so we're very fortunate to have a you know twenty percent institutional ownership base that has come on since we renewed focus uh, on this VMS exploration uh, in late two thousand fourteen. Um, you know, resource capital funds, for example, is our largest shareholder, uh, and they came in and, and really typically those inv- those type of investors that come in on the construction development stage, but they had formed a new exploration strategy and we we're going to go out and back to, and really focus on backing teams, uh, and you know, it was a really kind of a vote of confidence in, uh, to the market. Uh, when they came in and, and provided that financing that they did at that time on the team and the geologic uh, potential for what we're looking for. Uh, with that being said, in, as a whole, we've got uh, just over 60 million shares outstanding to date. Again, 20% institutional ownership. Insiders and close associates to the company that are long-term investors also control roughly another 34, 35% of the, the float today. And, and while uh, the Pine Bay discovery is really driving interest in the market, and it's uh, some impressive zinc equivalent numbers have come out recently, you also have the sourdough um, zone that you're looking at or, or target. Uh, maybe a little bit of elaboration on the sourdough zone um, and uh, what sort of your plans are there this year. Yeah, so the, the sourdough area is another, that's a discovery we made last um, uh, last summer uh, during our summer drilling campaign last year. And again, it was Going, uh, following up from uh, you know some other drilling that we did, but essentially we had gone down plunge from some mineralization at surface, similar to what we have at the Pine Bay uh, discovery, which is down plunge from mineralization at surface as well. Uh, we hit that uh, that zone; it was you know seven and a half meter zone. We went down plunge uh, this past winter to see if the grades improved. Uh, grades were more of the same, uh, which was what what we're looking for. We're looking for the again high grade mineralization. When we pour hole pulse that hole at that time, we saw a very strong geophysical conductor to to the north that was on the same stratigraphic package that hosted that sourdough deposit, as well as the Centennial Mine, uh, which is a a higher grade uh, mine that um, uh, was operated by HUD Bay many years ago. Uh, so with that, we just recently announced just a couple of weeks ago where we, we drilled to, to test that target. We actually hit the edge of the geophysical plate. And what they came back is a, a you know, pretty wide intercept, I think over 24 meters of uh, you know, sulfide mineralization that was copper, uh, zinc, and precious metals bearing. Uh, and you know, since probing that, uh, you know, it shows, again, there's a strong target that seems to be directly associated with that mineralization that we've hit that we'll also need to follow up on. Uh, so again, we've got two emerging properties on this, you know, well over 6,000 square hectare property. Well, that's exciting days out in Flinfon, Manitoba with Calinex Mines. This has been Matthew Kiva with the Northern Miner, and we've been talking with Max Porterfield, President and CEO of Calinex. Thanks, Max. Thanks so much for having me. And we're back in studio. Uh, and again, I'd like to thank uh, Max Porterfield from uh, Calinex Mines for joining us. That was awesome. Uh, I do have a, a much more in-depth uh, interview with Max uh, that I'll be putting together uh, as more of a, a long, uh, long-form article. Uh, so do uh, do do look out for that uh, this coming week. Uh, we'll probably up later in the week, Thursday, Friday. We'll see uh, my Calinex article, uh, and that'll be in paper next week, more than likely. Um, so thanks again to Max. Do uh, do surf over to the Calinex website and check out uh, their. Uh, 
intersect at uh, the Pines Bay project. Uh, cool stuff going on over there, so uh, do check it out. Um, and as always, I just wanted to uh, touch base with our uh, our sponsor, the Yukon Mining Alliance. Um, one of the things, uh, the, the projects I actually visited this summer was Golden Predators 3 Aces uh, project uh, near Watson's Lake. Um, now, I just wanted to point out, uh, Golden Predator did uh, announce uh, on October 17th that they're commencing a drill program at Three Aces. Uh, they did a, uh, a big bulk sample with some promising results on the Sleeping Giant vein um, and actually used uh, just completed a bridge crossing of the Little Highland River. So they actually have full road access now to their Three Aces property. Um, so uh, Golden Predator is going to be drilling there. Um, and uh, it, it, one of the things that really stood out for me when I visited the project was the uh, accessibility of it. So it, it, they'll be able to uh, drill despite the fact the weather is getting a little bit uh, a little bit colder. Um, but uh, so we'll look out for some good results from Golden Predator's three aces property. Um, and then, yeah, just to finish up the show, uh, the show uh, I did mention earlier, I had a chance to sit down and speak with President and CEO of Nevsun Resources, Cliff Davis. Uh, this was last week. Um, and Nevsun's been in the, in the news quite a bit over the last 12 months. Um, people have heard a little bit about uh, there's some uh, refugees from Eritrea who are uh, filing a, a civil suit in the BC Supreme Court, which was uh, permitted to go ahead last week, um, that that uh, purports that uh, Nevsun was uh, sort of involved with the uh, government of Eritrea um, in using forced labor. So there, there, there's... Uh, that's a really important lawsuit because it's the first time a Canadian company will domestically face a suit uh, for international um, problems that they may have uh, experienced in terms of human rights. Um, and so I had a, a chance to talk with Cliff, and he he was uh, he said they've been in, uh, independently audited by uh, an, a reputable international lawyer, and that they do their uh, corporate social responsibility reports every year, um, and that uh, a lot of the narratives surrounding Eritrea, um, it, it is essentially an authoritarian regime there, um, and uh, so a lot of the narratives surrounding there is, is in terms of regime change, um, but uh, I've had a chance to read Nevsun's uh, CSR reports, corporate social responsibility reports, uh, they have been independently audited, um, and uh, obviously he couldn't comment on the uh, actual legal proceedings but he said they're very proud of the work they've done in Eritrea at their Bisha mine um, and uh, they just recently committed uh, completed uh, 100 million dollars well that was the budget they actually only spent 77 million so it was under uh, under budget uh, a new zinc circuit there to uh, to capitalize on um, on a high-grade zinc zone they're about to start mining which is going to accentuate they've been uh, they've just been moving through the copper zone uh, so the copper circuits already been there um, and uh, so they're uh, turning into this sort of uh, they're moving towards becoming a mid-tier base metal company um, and that moves into the uh, the story of them buying um, reservoir uh, reservoir uh, which is a project generator in Serbia with a TMOC project as I mentioned earlier um, and they uh, were actually in a little bit of a bidding war with Lundin Mining who also wanted the asset uh, Freeport is a GAV partner on a portion of uh, the project and then also uh, Rio Tinto was involved with the Tilva, uh, Tilva concessions which are next to the TMOC concessions in Serbia so lots of majors are wandering around over there and you can see why um, Nevsun released on October 17th these are actually uh, funny enough they're these were drill holes from a 2015 program that Free Freeport completed that were never assayed so Nevsun assayed them um, and they're, uh, it's, it was just, uh, generally a resource upgrade program for the, the upper lower zone uh, that uh, that Reservoir had discovered um, and these the, the grades continue to be impressive uh, that may be a bit of an understatement uh, the uh, big, uh, big cut they hit uh, with these most recent results was 248 meters of six 
3.37% copper, 3.19 grams gold per ton. Uh, now that's, yeah, and the, that's, that's not even the highest grade stuff. They actually hit 40 meters of uh, almost 19% copper and and 11 grams gold per ton so this thing continue uh the team hockey this is the upper zone um which is sort of a uh, the, the upper zone, which is characterized by massive and semi-massive sulfide mineralization, and the lower zone, which is the portion where Freeport can back in for a 54% right following a feasibility study, uh, is is more of a traditional porphyry-style mineralization. So very large project. Um, and one of the things Cliff told me about uh, Timok is a they have a lot of uh, support from the Serbian government, and they want to move ahead aggressively. As I mentioned earlier, they want to uh, get into production by 2021. So there'll be a feasib uh, pre-feasibility study coming out on. The the Timok upper zone um, by late next year uh, and they want to move forward with that aggressively and then also there'll be ongoing work as per the joint venture with Freeport uh, there'll be about over 60,000 meters on that lower zone the big bulk porphyry zone and he said having um majors like Freeport and Valders is such a good thing for, for companies like Nevsun because Freeport has the expertise and, and sort of the size to tackle these large projects. And then also um, that links into obviously their JV with uh, Rio Tinto next door on a separate concession. Um, and Rio Tinto generally is or their general involvement in the country because this um, the, the discoveries being made along this Timok Magmatic Complex are impressive in, in terms of size and grade. So uh, we'll see uh, as we move forward here whether they're the next sort of major copper district and i mean uh, it, it starts to emerge in serbia but I, I there's sort of a precursor to that and that is that this area has 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 a long mining history uh the bore mine is there um there has been a lot of copper uh, open pit copper mining going on in serbia um but this is sort of um these new discoveries are really you just don't see these grades anymore um, in terms of large-scale copper uh, copper assets, so it'll be interesting to see um, how uh, how fast they can get going uh, at Timok and how Freeport sort of and Rio are uh, coming to the equation. Um, so yeah, it was a good chat, and uh, yeah, they'll uh, keep uh, keep your eye out for more uh, more news as Nevsun moves forward here. Um, you'll probably get some more, I, I'd assume, some more drilling results as they move towards uh, a little bit of greater understanding of the metallurgy. Um, and also, uh, Cliff mentioned they were looking at sort of adjusting mine plans in terms of direct shipping ore and how to capitalize on the really high grade material in the early years to maximize the payback period or minimize the payback period, which is what you'd actually want to do. Um, but uh, yeah, so an interesting one, and it's it, one of the things i always i look at nevson and, and i think it's kind of so, sort of a little funny uh, since they they won the bidding war for tmoc over lundin um the stock has been relatively flat so it's not like um the market has given them a great multiple for the the addition of uh this this really high grade copper gold asset to the portfolio so we'll see if as they start to move forward and and uh clear those sort of um permitting milestones and, and things like that if this starts to really start to give a little bit of momentum to the stock as well so we'll keep our eyes on that um but yeah so that that's pretty much our show for this week um thank you again so much for joining us um we do uh, really value your listenership